0: The title of this message and the conclusion of my portion of the psalms is a psalm for old age. Now, there are some in the room right now that are saying, well, you know, I- I'm not old. I'm not in the-, the second half of my life. And of course, we all know what, when the second half of life begins, that's 10 years past your current age, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, m- there are some here that are saying, you know, I don't know if is a psalm for me. Well... Everybody is going to hit old age at some point if we're fortunate enough to live a long life, right? so All of us are. And so there's so many challenges and struggles that old age bring to us. I, I was reading about a gentleman who, who was describing, you know, growing old. He said, you know, I've survived a heart attack and, and cancer. I've had two knees replaced and a hip replaced. I take so many medications that I get dizzy at, during the day. I'm starting to develop dementia. I have a hard time seeing. I can't hear anything that's quieter than a jet engine. And I've lost several of my friends. But thank God I still have my driver's license. Can, can some of y'all relate to that? Can can some of y'all relate? Yeah, some, some. I think a few people in here can relate to to what that guy's saying, and and maybe some of the challenges uh, that we face as we as we grow over older, but also some of the blessings. Janet Mears uh, and I uh, we had not the best crowd out uh, gathering along. I know we're not used to doing it this late in the summer, but she shared a wonderful testimony of how God's been faithful to her uh, throughout her old age. Just a little earlier today. And she's 96 years young. She's only in the first part of her her life. She's still, you know, looking forward to that second half. Yeah, we see that in this psalm, we can learn lessons no matter what age we are about how to go through life and seeing that God is faithful. Now, this psalm is not entitled a psalm of David, but some scholars believe that it was a psalm that David wrote. And... We know by reading the Dead Sea Scrolls that David wrote well over 600 psalms. That means many of those psalms were lost in history. I mean, we only have 150 in the Psalter. So it's possible that some of those that are in the current Psalter that we have in our Bibles were written by David but weren't attributed to him. We we don't know, but some scholars give us some hints that this psalm may have been written by David. And if it was, it was written at a time near the end of his life. And as we look at 1 Kings, there David is in his, in his room, on his deathbed. He's infirmed with old age. He's been attended to by Abshak the Shuamite. And he's there wondering what's going to happen in the future to him and to his kingdom. For during that time frame... His son Solomon was chosen by God to be the king. And he made that proclamation, David did, that this is the one who's going to follow after me. But one of his other sons, Adonijah, well, he said, no, I'm going to be king. And he started a revolt much like what happened several years before when Absalom tried to take over the kingdom from David. And here's David, in old age, not able to get out. He's not able to rule like he once did. And his son is trying to take things over. Adonijah is rebelling against his will. And not only is it a family squabble, it's, it's going on throughout the countryside because Joab, the, the commander of the army, is going to follow after Adonijah. One of the priests, Eliahab, is going to follow after Adonijah. And it's breaking David's heart. Here he had struggled to have a peaceable transfer of power to bring Solomon on the throne. And his his son is rebelling against him. You know, sometimes children can bring the source of our greatest joy. And sometimes children are the source of our greatest sorrow. I was looking in the in the paper the other day and I was seeing the parents of the young man who allegedly did all the shooting there in Chicago and they're marching to the courtroom and they look like they had the weight of the world upon them. They look like they had had everything taken from them. They They were in such grief and sorrow and agony because their child, their son, had supposedly committed this terrible crime killing all those people up in Chicago on July 4th. Can you imagine if that was your child? What she would feel like? I remember watching a news report one time and they were interviewing this mother and there she was on, on, the, on the camera talking about her son who had been killed by the police while he was in the process of committing an armed robbery. And she was saying with tears in her eyes, but he was such a sweet boy. Can you imagine if that was your child? You know, that's some of the feelings David might have been going through. You know, he, he had said this is specifically what God wanted and had just doing the opposite of that. It's breaking this old man David's heart. There he is, being tended to by this woman, this LPN named, <laughs> named Abshag. She wasn't an LPN, but she's there tending to him, making sure he's okay, having all of his needs met. He's lying there in agony, wondering about the future. You know, old age ain't for sissies, is it? <laughs> you know, we start having some aches in our joints, and that old football injury back in the glory days on the gridiron when you broke your collarbone, well, it still hurts 50 years later. Any of y'all been there? You, those of you maybe not as old, but you're seeing that the younger generation is doing things that you never thought you would ever do. And they're running a lot faster than you ever ran. And we have in our minds, you know, what's becoming of me? Am I going to be left behind? And you wonder about your future. As David did. Wondering about his own future and wondering about the future of his kingdom. Wondering where's God in all of this? And so David gives us a clue of what to do, not only in old age, but in all ages of our lives, when we are dealing with things. Look in the psalm as we go through it. David reminds himself and all who would hear it of God's faithfulness. Reminding that no matter what's going on in the world around us, no matter what's going on in his life, no matter what he is dealing with, God is faithful. And you can imagine uh, David as he's making this statement that from my youth I have trusted in you. You have upheld me since I was born. It was you, oh God, that brought me forth from my mother's womb. You can imagine, as David is thinking about this time, as he's there lying on on this bed of sickness and pain, that, you know what? God, was faithful to me all my life. He's going to be faithful now. And you can maybe think in his mind what he's going through. He says, you know, when I was a small kid, There I was, you know, sent out into the wilderness to tend sheep and goats. And I had to fight off lions and bears. And God was there working with me. He's protecting me. And then when he went up to fight this great giant Goliath with nothing but a slingshot. And here's this guy who's nine feet tall with a big spear and sword and a shield. You know, God, help me overcome all that. And then as David is, is on the run from Saul and, and he's angry about what's going on and Saul's persecuting him and he said, you know, what? God was with me during that eight or nine years in the wilderness where I had to act like a crazy man sometimes just to, just to survive. But God brought me through that. God was faithful. And all the victories that you helped me win, God, there on the battlefield and, and help us establish Jerusalem as our city. Uh, uh, that we call your own, the city of David. And then, in the lowest point in David's life, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah the Hittite killed, and there's Nathan pointing at him saying, you're the man. And he realizes his deep guilt. He realizes how much he has broken his covenant relationship with God and, and impinged upon God's love. And we see as he writes, Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love. Take not thy spirit from me. He experiences even in his sinfulness, the faithfulness of God and the grace of God. And so here lying on his deathbed, wondering about the future of his kingdom, wondering what's going to happen to him, if anyone will even remember him, he, he can remember the goodness of God. Because you see, he looked back in the past He realized that God was faithful in the past. Now, I'm in this difficult time now. God's faithfulness will be with me here and bring me into the future. So one of the things I encourage you to do this week one of the things I, I, I would encourage you to, to try to do is get out some paper or, or get on your computer and, and start thinking about your life. Start thinking about you know your growing up days, and it, it, you might have grown up in a Christian family and see how God's grace is there, surrounding you with love from your earliest days. Or you might have grown up in a, in a family that wasn't so Christ-like, but seeing how somehow, some way, throughout your life, you're going to school. You know, going to the job, maybe some of the difficult times with health or with family or finances, and you see somehow, someway God has brought you here. And as you write out those things, and as you you look specifically at your own life and seeing how God has been at work, we see that indeed God has been faithful, is faithful, and will be faithful. I think of my own life. I don't want to, you know, take up, many hours here and bore you all to tears. But, you know, I, I think about my own life and how God, God's been faithful in my, my own life, and my own upbringing. I'd grown up in a, a good Christian home. And I remember, you know, one of the very first tough times that we, I remember going through is when I was in the seventh grade, my dad was in a very bad automobile accident almost took his life. And I remember my mom and I, when we heard the word, hugging each other in the hallway of that little home in, in Mary Esther, Florida. And, you know, she, I remember her saying, he's in your hands now, God. And we, we went there to the hospital, and we were there with him. And he, you know, he, he was barely alive and barely awake, and he, we, we were able to be there with him. And through months of being on uh, on a ventilator and having his heart stopped and restarted and it, being in ICU for such a long time and then all the physical therapy. I, but I can still vividly remember to this day, I was sitting in the acolyte chair behind the preacher of that little church there in Mary Esther, Florida, a fellow that's related to my wife, John Carmichael. And I remember him seeing my dad walking late to church, being helped by my mom, using, the, using a walk or coming in. And I remember Brother John saying, praise God. Praise God. Because John had been there for my dad and he saw all that he had been through and how God had brought him to that place to come back into church after being made, after being made well or as well as you ever would be. I, you know, I, I remember in school for some of the younger folks here, you know, and, and listen, in in the Panhandle, Florida, drugs were all over the place back then. It still is, but I mean, it seemed like everybody was using it. And I'd, you know, I'd go to a gathering there on the beach, and there'd be a fire there, and, and uh, you know, they'd start passing around stuff. And What kept me from that was I was part of a great youth group that enabled me to stay strong in the Lord at that time. You know, because I was surrounded by a community of faith and love. I remember when I went off in the Air Force and I was deployed to Korea and I was there in that cold tent and you've heard my story about being called to ministry at at the Yoido Full Gospel Church here in Seoul, Korea. But what led me to that point to go to that church is that I had a tent mate that I didn't ask for. His name is Michael Rell and he's a Christian man and and on our weekend off instead of doing what a lot of folks are doing that weekend, now let your imagination go there, we went to church. And it was there in that place that I answered the call. And when I did go to seminary, and listen, it was hard, you know. It was hard. I actually had to read, you know. And that's something that I wasn't used to doing too much of. I mean, books are sick with authors whose names I couldn't even pronounce. Here we are having to read all that stuff. And it was tough. You know, here was, you I have not been to school in a while, I'd been in the Air Force, and you know, I, I was starting to have a pity party and feel bad on myself. We had all this stuff do, and you know, we had, uh, serving a little church as a youth director. I mean, it was rough, and I, I was, you know, I said, Alicia, I don't think I'm supposed to do this. And I, so I wrote a letter to the dean that I was going to quit, I was going to try to get back in the Air Force, and, and you know, before I did all that, we we met with our, our advisory group, or what's called our supervised ministry group, and is led by a good, godly African American pastor who is also up on staff there at Candler, named Luther Smith. And I think everybody else in my supervised ministry group was feeling the same way I was. He, he looked at us, and we looked like we were a bunch of run over dogs, and, and, he, and he, he said to us, I can still hear him, I'm still seeing my, 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 my said, you all look worn out and weary. And when you're worn out and weary, Luther said, you don't need rest. You need worship. And so we started reading Scripture right there together and started to poorly sing songs, the eight of us together, and we had our spirits lifted up. Because, y'all, when we are in need of rest, doesn't matter if you're here in the sanctuary, if you're there watching online, you know, when you're weary worn out, bedraggled, frazzled, you need worship. Because you see what David said? Your praise is continually on my lips. And they're on his deathbed. They're hearing stories of his son Adonijah revolting, hearing, one, hearing all sorts of bad rumors going on, being tended to by this woman he really didn't even know. And he said, your praise is continually on my lips. You see, that's what, when we look at God's faithfulness, that enables us to do those very things. We recall that when Paul and Silas, there in, the, in Acts, had gone to Philippi, and there's that big riot against them, and they, they're hauled into jail, and they're beaten, and then put in chains, and they weren't having a pity party, what were they doing? praising God and singing psalms, maybe this very psalm. You know, there they were, giving praise to God in the weariness of their situation. And and we read about John Wesley, who on his deathbed, was there singing in a very weak and hoarse, raspy voice. Isaac Watts song, I'll praise my maker while I have breath. I'll praise my maker while I have breath. I remember going to Baptist Hospital in Pensacola, Florida, to see a, a church member there in the oncology wing. And, and uh, he was uh, there talking to me. He said, You know, I, I'm giving praise to God. I've had a good life. I've had a, a, a good family. Even in this place, you know, I'm being well treated and well tended to. And then he, with a little twinkle in his eye, a smirk on his face, he said, And the nurses here are mighty good looking, too. Because you see what Wayne was doing. Was given praise to God and enabled him even to deal with the fact that he had a disease that was going to take his life. To see that God was faithful. What he's doing is what we we're going to do here in a bit uh, when we sing this hymn. That's going to be a closing hymn. We're not not right now. We got a little bit to go. We still have communion. But he's singing that hymn. Count your blessings, name them one by one. You all know that song. Count your many blessings. See what God hath done. It's in the old Cokesbury hymnal. Something that reminds us, you know, the the author didn't start out by saying the skies are blue and everything's going well. He said, no one, life is tough. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. There's a time uh, when missionaries went out in droves from England and from uh, North America to far-flung places around the world. And In the 1850s, uh, Alan Galbraith went out uh, knowing that he's going to a tough place in Picton Island off the coast of, of South America. And he said, even though that there might be failure, even though there might be hardship, I will be undaunted in proclaiming and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a lonely posting. And things didn't go well in trying to help convert the native people there on that island. And soon he was running low on provisions. And eventually, he succumbed to disease and starvation, and he died. But he kept a journal. And when those who had sent him and deployed him in in missionary service came to check on him, they found his dead body. And by his body was his little journal. And his last entry, written in a, a weak and feeble hand, barely legible, he wrote this. I am overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Wow. I am overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Failed in his work. Starving. Beaten. Lonely. And yet his last writing was this. I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Wow. But Alan Galbraith was reminding us of this. Probably something that you had on your lips when you went to the dinner table most nights in your home, if you're raised in a Christian home. You probably know that little prayer. It starts out, God is great and God is good. Say that with me. God is great and God is good. There's nothing that can change that fact. Even if you have tears streaming down your face, even if you're suffering from great pain, even if you have great sorrow in your life, there's nothing that can change the fact that God is great and God is good. Nothing. And that's why we need to come together to be reminded of that. In the wake of our son's accident that took his life, as you've heard me share here before, that in my life, I can't say this for my wife because we grieve differently, but for my life, there's obviously much sadness and sorrow and anger and a wondering about where is God and all this? Oh God, are you good? And as I shared uh, that I was going to share in that sermon that I was out when I had COVID, of course, Jacob, you did a fabulous job filling in for me. Um, I think I told you this, Jacob, you always have to be able to preach, pray, and die at a moment's notice. So, you know, you, 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 you did that, so thank you. But as I was dealing with all of this, you know, in my own life, and and, and the sorrow, and this anger, and where's God and all this? And, you know, still those questions come up, don't get me wrong. But we had reminders. Alicia and I uh, headed off to uh, go be with our daughter, who was in school in New Haven, Connecticut, to, to just be with her during that tough time. She had come down, obviously, for the service, and then we drove back up there, and to, and to stay there with her through the time where we would have celebrated uh, Curtis's 25th birthday. And then we made the trek back, and it was a uh, you know, beautiful trip through the western Pennsylvania and Virginia, and uh, we, we stopped And and stayed a night or two in a monastery just to uh, be there and enjoy the beauty and the reflect of the place, reflecting that place. But when we got home, uh, we were told that, you know, just just don't be too surprised. And we wondered, what in the world are we talking about? When we get into this house, you know, had it burned down, what else bad could happen? And so when we got to the house and opened the door, we. We're told to go into the back, and in this house that we owned along with the bank in in Fairhope, this young adult Sunday school class had taken our backyard and totally redone it, made it into a beautiful garden setting, made a porch for us in which to sit, and they told us this. They said, we want this place to be a sanctuary where you can come and reflect, look into the woods, see the garden, and remember that God is good. And so, that's what they did. And in that setting, we could reflect and remember that God is good. Even when it seems so hard. And so, here's David. There lying on his deathbed. Eyes clouded with age. His joints aching from arthritis and and with the wounds that he experienced in battle. There he is uh, lying there wondering about all this work that he had done to build up this kingdom now being torn apart probably by the son who's in rebellion. And and there he is remembering the goodness of God. Remembering too that life is fleeting but even if life is fleeting that he remembered something that he penned in a psalm that you're going to hear about next week. That what? Surely goodness and mercy had followed him all the days of his life through those good times, those hard times, the rebellion on his own heart. And that soon to come to pass, he had experienced that line, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, when you you go through life and the hardships and the sorrows and the pain and the struggle. May you have a faith, even though your eyes may be dimmed with age and you are racked with pain, may you have a faith that gives you hope and that you can leave a legacy of hope as you always remember this, this fact that is there and it is true, and it gives David and it gives us a reason to proclaim a celebration of life, no matter what happens to us. And we can always say this, God is great, and God is good. May that be so as you proclaim it in your life, because it's the truth. And nothing, nothing can ever change that.